This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome to The Great Indoors. The podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Sophie Robinson. And I'm Kate Watson-Smythe. And don't forget you can sign up to be a member of The Great Indoors Insiders to support the podcast, enjoy ad-free listening and get bonus content as well as first dibs on ticketed events. Just visit thegreatindoorspodcast.com. And on that note, can I just say a massive thank you to all our insiders who came to our summer break webinar party last week. It was such fun to see you all, get connected and, well, you know, get to know you a little bit better. Yes, as someone who doesn't really drink so much anymore, I'm all for a virtual drink, which is all the chatting (laughs) and none of the hangover. That works for me quite well. Talking of hangovers, you never guess what I've had three dinner parties this weekend. (laughs) I'm feeling quite jaded, I'm not going to lie. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, oh, ta- I know. Where's Sophie? Who am I recording with? <laughs> I, do, I, I used to record <laughs> a podcast with a woman who was proud of the fact that she never cooked, didn't know how to cook, wasn't one of life's cooks. I don't know who I'm talking to, people, but... Well, you always said, is my new kitchen going to cause me to uh, want to cook? And I think it has. Ooh! I think it has, Kate. Yeah. It's made me turn a corner. I think... I think it's true. If you have a kitchen that works and inspires you and is a lovely place to be, you're more likely to want to cook in it. There you go. I'm just going to break in here. I'm going to break in here, listeners, because we did have a little bit of chit-chat about the show before we pressed the record buttons. And when Sophie says she did the cooking... She made a salad. No! She made a salad. Oh, back the truck up. I did not. I'm going to tell you what I got. So on Friday night, we had relaxed supper with friends. Tom did the barbecue. And yes, I made some salads. And then on Saturday night, I did like a proper dinner party. I did a starter. What? When you say I... Me, myself and I, no Tom on this, I did the cooking and it's uh, one of my favourite cookbooks by Diane Henry. I love that book. Oh, so good. Oven, oven to table. Yes, good one. Got that. And it's a really good one because you can do all the prep, shove it in the oven. And then my thing is I hate it if I'm still cooking when people arrive. I hate that. If I'm in the kitchen feeling stressed. So everyone arrived and everything was in the oven. It was brilliant. So starter was baked well it's sort of like a baked roasted you get some asparagus you put it on a baking tray you whack it in the oven for 10 minutes bring it out drizzle it with olive oil and break some ricotta cheese over the top everyone went mad for it shall i tell you something i had i had i trumped the asparagus this was so good it was asparagus which was coated in parmesan and deep fried Oh, my God. Deep fried. Oh, and I had Parmesan shavings on the top. That must be a real love affair then, asparagus and Parmesan. That's obviously a good pairing, isn't it? Yeah. Then there was a main meal. Chicken thighs with new potatoes and onion baked. And then at the end... I've done that one. Yeah, but then at the end, you sprinkle it with dill, lemon rind, feta. It's probably some other stuff. Oh, my God. So delicious. So quick. So easy. And then I did a, a red 
tomato salad, a green salad, a beetroot salad. So we've got purple, red, green, lots of colour. Everyone commented on what a colourful spread it was. I was like, uh-huh. She's never not roll. on brand. Never not, not on brand. brand. Never not on brand. But then I want to share my pudding because I think this is genius. Can so, I just say, for yeah. listeners who've tuned in for the interior show, that'll be back <laughs> next week. It is now. This is now a cookery programme. <laughs> Yeah, but it's all inspired by my new kitchen, so I'm keeping it relevant. (laughs) So, what I want to tell you about is the pudding, because I'm so proud of this. From a lazy cook point of view, anyone who's like me out there and wants more time chatting and quaffing than stressing in the kitchen, this is from the Sky McAlpine, the rather brilliant Food for Friends book, and we've had Sky on the podcast. She's a friend of the Great Indoors. She has a pudding in there which is basically frozen berries, so red currants, raspberries, blackberries and blueberries, not strawberries because they're too big. You pile them on a dish or if you've got an elegant cake stand like Sky, you can put it on there. I didn't, I put it in a dish. And then you melt white chocolate and double cream together in a pan to make a hot sauce. She then adds a bit of saffron to turn it yellow. Put the plate in the middle of the dining table. And the berries look so lovely because they're all frosted and frozen. They look so pretty. And then you pour with dramatic effect (laughs) your hot chocolate sauce all over the berries. And then it turns into this like sticky, gloopy, frozen berry goo. It's so good. And everyone goes mad for this spectacular pudding. I was very proud of myself. You don't say. Fanny Craddock. <laughs> Sophie Fanny Craddock Robinson will be setting up her YouTube just live. Think it's all about getting these recipes that are quick, simple, easy, but look fabulous. Make you look fabulous. So that's uh, if anyone's coming to my house for supper this summer, that's probably what you're going to be getting. I think you could do it with plain chocolate as well, because white chocolate can be super, super sweet. Yeah, but it counteracts the tartness of the frozen berries, you see, Kate. Listeners, if you could see my face. I mean, you know, I may not be the greatest cook in the world, but I've been doing it for a long time. And now... Who's telling you how to make your chocolate sauce on your berries? I think you'll find. I think Kate. you'll find. The old Fanny Robinson over there knows everything. Well, yes. in contrast to you with all your cooking, I have, you know, it's the summer holidays. I've been upping my screen time. I've been over on the Ooh, new Threads app. The new Matters. So this oh, is Matters yes. rival to Twitter. Yes. That's interesting, isn't it? Because you used to love a bit of Twitter. I think I remember you in I the like early days. You love a chitty chatty. And, I did. Um, and yeah, Instagram was my place where I was like, oh, but you're a woman of words but do, have you fallen out of love with Twitter recently because I absolutely oh, horrible. have it's turned no, it's really broken. It's nasty broken. hasn't it I think it's been broken for a while but yeah so tell me about threads because I did a post on the day it opened apparently 100 million people joined in the first day or something I think the point is to build a new social media app from nothing is very difficult but if you link it to Instagram and you just literally press a button and you migrate your, your name yeah. over then suddenly you can bring those of your followers that want to join it's really interesting because it is a bit like early twitter in that you know everybody's chatting everybody's being polite everybody's engaging and i found for example 
when I first joined Twitter, which I think was way back 2010 or 2011 or something, I mean, a long time ago when Twitter was fun, you know, some of my most successful sort of conversations always started with, you know, who'd like a biscuit? And 15 people would pile in and go, oh, I like a bourbon cream. Oh, no, it's custard cream for me. And you get have these great conversations with people. And Early Threads is a bit like that. Um, and a lot of the brands have really picked up well on it. I mean, there's there's lots of sort of memes from, from social media managers of Aldi and, and Channel 4 and all those places which you think are quite straight and corporate, all sort of, you know, piling in with gusto and going, oh, God, another media thread and, you know, finding it, <laughs> finding it difficult. So that's fun. But I noticed also someone posted a reel and then admitted that she'd had really sort of short shrift because it was like... We're not here for that. We don't yes, want. We I, don't want self promo. Yeah. We don't want reels. And the other thing people are really enjoying is, firstly, it does display photographs beautifully, and you can have ten photographs. So it's the sort of carousel idea, but silent. So even if there is a video, you <gasps> oh, can have it on silent. No you don't music. have to have the music. And that I think because I find on the reels, even sometimes when I've got my phone on silent, the music will suddenly blast up. And if you're having a cheeky 3am scroll because you can't sleep, then that, mm, that doesn't go down terribly well. It doesn't. No, it um, doesn't go down no. well. So interesting. I'm, no. quite enjoy, I'm quite enjoying the engagement. I mean, who knows how long it will last. And some people are complaining that they're being shown lots of things they're not following. And I think, I mean, not to sound like an advert for it, but having been on, I was in the first 10 million people on. I was very excited. That's because I woke up. <laughs> You are so Well, do you know sad. what it is? It's because oh, I woke I, up at 5am and I couldn't sleep. And then it, it, I got a notification going, Threads is live. I went, oh, I can't sleep. I'll go and have a look. So I got in at the 9.5 millionth user. And then I was refreshing to see what was going on. And apparently what happens is when you first join, you get loads of stuff just chucked at you because it doesn't know who you are and what you want. And the more you refresh and kind of follow people and mute people, the algorithm kind of learns. So my feed is quite nicely tailored to who I want at the moment. I'm just growing it. Whereas other people have gone, oh, I've come on here and it's all football and stuff I don't want. It's like, well, you know, you've got you to gotta work at it a bit. So who knows? But at the moment, I'm liking it. And I've used it a bit for this podcast. Well, I was just going to ask that because I remember in the early days of Twitter, because I used to use it a lot when I was doing a TV show with Dan, The Great Interior Design Challenge. And that was... 2013, 14, 15-ish. And people used to really chat very lovely about interiors on there. And they chat really beautifully about the TV show and about the contestants. It was all, there was no trolling. And it was just a nice place to have a chat about things that, live events that are happening in real time. But the whole design community has obviously really fallen off Twitter and maybe found a home on Instagram. But it'd be interesting if it does start another interiors community talking about timely things. What's interesting, I think, is that that yes, they've fallen off Twitter and you can, you know, obviously you can post content on Instagram, but it's not the same as having a conversation. You know, there's that kind of you can post stories about what you're doing in the behind the scenes, which we know the algorithm loves and we know that I hate doing, but it's not a sort of conversation in the same way. So I think that's what's interesting if you can have a chat. But enough on this. Now, before we go off on our summer broadcasting break, we are back in September, by the way. We thought we would leave you with a bit of a chunky episode to get your design teeth into. Yeah, over the last few months, we've done a deep dive into how to plan the perfect kitchen and also how to design your beautiful bedroom. So this week, we thought it was the turn of the bathroom. I've just redone my bathroom and shower in this house and... 
Deep breaths. There are four bathrooms in the house in Italy. So it's fair to say that this is a subject that has been on my mind of late. Four bathrooms in your house in Turin. <gasps> well, they're all quite small. There's one that's got a bath in it and the rest are quite small. But we've managed to claw back a bit of space because we went round these bathrooms with the builders and they were like, you know, where are you putting the bidet? Oh, my God, the conversation about the B-Day went on and on. And, and and the architect was obsessed. The builders are like, what, no B-Day? And we were like, oh, um, I'm not saying that we're scummy British people, but, we, you know, we, we don't have those B-Days. Um, so there's been a lot of chit-chat. And obviously the bathrooms, as they were, had very small showers so that you could have a small basin and a loo and a bidet. And we've gone a bit, can we have a big, slightly more luxurious walk-in shower and lose the bidet? And and that that's not gone down very well. Okay, am I right? Are bidets used for washing your bottom? Is that what they're for? Yeah. Okay, so I've never used a bidet for that purpose. I remember we had one in my parents had one in their ensuite once many years ago and dad used to use it to wash his feet in that was all I ever saw it being used for well I mean they do get used for that I've not done a deep dive into this conversation with Roberto and Fabio to be fair where do they where do they come from then what is it with the b-day do the Americans have them well no the Americans don't like them at all so this is what I've looked into so it was fascinating I'm reading now it was born in France in the 1600s as a, a washing basin and it was sort of considered like the sister to the chamber pot so it was kept in the bedroom or the dressing room and some of them were quite sort of ornate and this I love this they were such an integral part of civilized life that Marie Antoinette do you remember her she was imprisoned let them eat cake which we think was brioche when she was in prison she was given a bidet with red trim while she was waiting for the guillotine so she was in a dank rat infested cell about to have her head chopped off but they gave her a bidet (gasps) so she could freshen up beforehand but in the 1800s the bidet went from the bedroom to the bathroom and then it became this kind of tiny tub that you could fill with a tub and they spread all over western Europe but apparently the Americans didn't like them because it was the GIs after the war, they often saw them when they were going to what we might politely call a bordello. A bordello, right, yes. A brothels. So they associated them with kind of sex workers and therefore they did not take them back to America because they had a reputation. Oh, that is interesting. So that's partly, I think, why they haven't spread into America. And then, I just, this one final line, I love this, because they fell out of fashion in the UK and in 1963... The Council of British Sanitary Pottery Manufacturers launched a campaign to save the B-Day because presumably if they were making loads of them, they suddenly lost a large chunk of their business when people went off them. And we were, said the council, restrained by British prudery, which was depriving the country of the most hygienic washing appliance Mm. of them all. So there you go. There's the B-Day So it's our prudery. Yeah. We don't want to talk about washing bottoms, do we? We don't want to talk about washing bottoms. So just to finish off the Italian epic, we have gone for the other option, which is you can have a little hose fixed in the wall just by the loo. A hose. And you can do that. Uh, so sort of like a tap. Oh it's like a tap. Gosh, that sounds like a disaster. Well, I, I don't know if you've never seen them. I've seen them a lot in Italy and in France. But yes. that means you don't have to have a whole tub. I think this is probably enough talk about the B-Day. <laughs> Shall we move on? 
I'd love to hear from listeners on this. Obviously, we have quite an international audience. I think you should all dive onto our podcast, the Great Indoors Podcast Facebook group, and enlighten us, prudish Brits. And tell us what you think. (laughs) How does it work? (laughs) Move us along. There's another great difference when we were going around the bathrooms with the Italian builders. We're going, so, you know, where do you want the plug? And we were like, what do you mean the plug? Are you insane? This is a bathroom. And they were like, no, no, where do you want the plug for your razor and your hairdryer? And we were like, we do not have a plug in a bathroom. Are you mad? And they completely fell over laughing. When you said plug, I thought you meant bath plug. An electrical plug socket. No, electrical <gasps> socket. For your hairdryer in the bathroom. No, no like, oh, I don't think so. <laughs> we were like, we'll plug that in the bedroom by the mirror. We'll do it on the landing. We are not drying our hair in the bathroom, people. Are you mad? I've worked it out. They think that's hilarious. It's to dry your bottom. <laughs> that's it. I've worked it out. That's why they've all got hair dryers in the bathroom. There you go. Oh, my God. This podcast is completely out of hand. It's, it's, got, it's, got that, it's got that end of term feeling, isn't it? Sophie's cooking. We've had a 15-minute conversation about how to wash your bottom. We need to discuss the subject in hand. Listeners, I'm trying to bring up crying and dribbling at the same time. I'm going to start. I'm going to start because... As I mentioned earlier, and this is this is quite a good place to start, I think. I threw this out on my threads thread earlier, and I got a comment back from Maud Vaughan Interiors, which I thought was interesting. And she said, just simply, how long is a bathroom supposed to last? She said, I've had mine for 12 years. I really want to redo it. My husband thinks it should go on longer. I don't think I've ever lived in a house longer than, well, this one. We're on seven years in this house and this is my <laughs> longest. Seven. But you haven't, you didn't do the bathroom seven no, years ago, did you? didn't do the bathroom seven So I have never put that to the test. I mean, from a practical point of view, I imagine that bathroom's still functioning, is it, after 12 years? It's just that it's probably looking really dated. Maybe the grout's really tired, the tiles are out of date. It's feeling a bit grubby. Maybe that's why she wants to change it. There are a couple of things I thought about. And one is, which is if you have a a plastic bath, then that will flex over time as you get in and out. And so therefore, the silicon around the edge of the bath can fail with the flexing. And when the silicon fails, you're then putting pressure on the grout, which can crack so you can get into leaks. And when we had our bathroom done in the last house, we'd had it done, I think, for about nine years before we redid it. And the plumber was like, we need to replace all underneath the shower tray because that could be failing and get leaking. So I reckon probably, obviously, there will be bathrooms that go on for years and years and you can change the decor. But you might start to find that things are failing after about 10 or 12 years. I mean, we had not expensive taps in our last house, which we had for we lived there for 12 years and they were beginning to get kind of gunked up and the the pop-up waste had failed so I think you're doing quite well to get to get 10 to 12 years out of a bathroom yeah no I think you're doing it's interesting I was just made me think about my bathroom which you know we've talked a lot about on the podcast it's got a freestanding bath it's got wooden tongue and groove up to sort of dado height and wallpaper above And I just thought that is a really easy bathroom to redecorate because I've painted the bathtub red. Well, I could paint that a different colour if I wanted to shift it about. The tongue and groove panelling can be repainted. The wallpaper can be stripped and replaced. So actually, I've created a bathroom that could let me change it aesthetically 
quite affordably. I wouldn't have to hack tiles off the room, off the walls, would I? No, and also because, it, as, it, as you say, yes, it's freestanding. So there's mm. no silicon or there's silicon around the back of the basin. But the silicon around the back of the basin is under much less pressure because unless you're my 19-year-old leaning really heavily on the basin to clean your teeth at night, then you're not kind of leaning on it as much. So, you know, interesting. But having established how long it lasts, when you come to replace it, where are you going to start? The thing I think of when I think of all the bathrooms that I've done over the years, it's usually when you move house, you're usually ripping out somebody else's bathroom. I think there's not very many people who are going to redo their existing bathroom very often. And I suppose this is why bathrooms are quite interesting because they do last a long time. We don't shift and change them around a lot. So people can really worry about getting it right because once those things are plumbed in and tiled in, you're kind of stuck with it. And I think as a result... We've seen a lot of very bland limestone bathrooms, didn't we? Do you remember in the noughties, everyone was sticking a white sweet limestone. Oh, it was like developers' bathrooms. And they were just so beige and boring. And now, thanks to people embracing colour and pattern, we're now seeing an amazing celebration of pattern tiles and featured tiled floors and tiled walls. We even see a wallpaper and people really seeing that the bathroom shouldn't just be this timeless classic that we're not going to change for the next 25 years. And we are seeing people being more creative with them, even if it's jazzy shower curtains, accessories. So it's an interesting one. Where do you start? Do you play the sensible card and just do it all white and beige or grey and then just live in misery and disappointment and sadness for the rest of your days? <laughs> I, uh, I was going more. I was kicking off on placement because... Oh, the, oh she loves a floor plan. Well, we've, we've moved things around. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's a well-known fact, I've said it before, that, you know, we have the smallest houses in Europe, the new builds, and bathrooms do tend to be squeezed into small spaces. In period houses, you often get a tiny loo next to a tiny bathroom. So, you know, and you can knock that into one. And traditionally, certainly in British houses, we have not been a shower nation. We're a bath by tradition. We are people of baths. So where you do have showers, they tend to be showers over the bath. And to come back to my original point, if you're stepping over a bath to have a shower all the time, you are really putting strain on that silicon and that grout with the flex of, of climbing in and out all the time. So we've, we've had to make a choice, I think, perhaps perhaps more than other countries. I'm not stating this definitively, but, you know, there's that that thing about if you don't like baths, do you dare take the bath out and have a bigger shower? Or do you keep the shower, because a lot of people like showers now, over the bath and have to clamber in and out? And we seem to have to make that choice. Whereas in, in the house in Italy... The bathrooms were basically showers. There was one small bath and the rest of them were were walk-in showers. Well, I think at least the property has a bath. I remember Tom and I working on some flats that we were developing in Brighton and it was a small bathroom and they were luxury flats. They felt really nice. They were going to be for young professionals. So I thought, let's just make it a really lovely, big, waterfall walk-in shower. This is how people are going to live. They're in the city centre. They don't have a garden. Yeah, this is going to be a young professionals kind of type place. And the estate agent was like, no, 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 you can't do that. You must put a bath in it. That was his view. Yeah, they don't like it. They didn't. He was really adamant. And so we did it. We put a bath in that you had to, with a nasty shower 
that concertina shower screen that you had to step into. It's really interesting, isn't it? We had in this house, we just moved into a, a fairly small bathroom. I mean, it was about two metres by two and a half metres, but it's also got a diagonal wall. I mean, it was a bit of a nightmare to try and fit things in. And there was a bath with a power shower over and it was awful and no one in this house bathed. So we we did that. We've taken the bath out and... My reasoning on that is partly that I think there are stats to show that when people move house, one of the first rooms they do want to do is the bathroom. So on the basis that people are probably going to want to do the bathroom anyway, the plumbing's still there. You know, if someone wants to redo that bathroom and put the bath back in, it's not going to be difficult. There's plumbing all over the place. So we've gone for a bigger shower. And the other thing we realised, and this this is one of those small details, but if you're redoing your bathroom and you're you're moving things around, we realised that the loo was right opposite the door. So whenever you walked past that room, you were going to see the loo. And that's just because my I imagine that when it started off, it was probably just a loo. And then what is now the bathroom bit was probably part of the bedroom next door and the bathroom would have been downstairs. So that was the position of it. And we made the decision. And, you know, it's quite a big deal moving a loo because you've got to come through from the outside and big drilling through walls and everything. But we effectively moved everything one step to the right so that now when you walk past, you see the basin, which is a much nicer view. And when people are building sort of en suite bathrooms you know we've got the sizes of those they can be quite small but again if at all possible don't have the loo so you're lying in bed looking at the loo you know spend that spend a bit of money if you're creating something from nothing to tuck the loo out of sight and look at the basin do you know it's quite it was quite an old-fashioned thing to have a separate loo from the bathroom wasn't it do you remember there was always the loo in one room and then the bath and a basin in another and you ended up with obviously two quite tiny rooms and so I think there was this big trend to then knock that out in favor of a bigger bathroom but I quite like a separate loo I'm going to be honest I think it's quite nice to keep the loo separate I mean our setup is bath and basin in one room loo and wet room share in another and it's quite nice having a soak in a tub in a beautiful room without staring at the toilet. Yeah, this is true. You've just got to be organised, though, because maybe it's just me, but that running water, as soon as the baths run, I've got to go to the loo. So then you're running across the landing going, <laughs> <"Got> <laughs> <out> the <wind." laughs> so nobody's looking. <laughs> so we've talked about the positioning of where you're going to put things in small rooms. Let's just go back to that size because I've got a very small shower room downstairs. And as you say, you've created a wet room. And just once and for all thought for new listeners or regular listeners who weren't listening the first time around because it didn't affect them and now they're paying attention. You can get a shower, a basin and a bath into something which is what? Basically a metre wide for the shower tray and mine is 3.2 metres long. How long is yours? It is one meter by like 2.2 or something it's tiny you can you can get it into i mean it's not going to be let's be honest you can get your shower tray so mine is 100 wide the width of the room and 80 in the other dimension i step out of that there's the basin and then i move along from there and there's the loo this is not huge you know twirling around in my towel drying my back and singing a song it's quite tight for the drying but you can get it all in there and so if you're thinking about you know, creating an ensuite. If you've got a bedroom where you can, you know, carve out three metres maximum 
and a metre wide, you can have an ensuite. What about really big bathrooms? I mean, I know most people have tiny bathrooms, but I'm thinking of, you know, if you could have a really, you know, is it a, is this the ultimate luxury? Getting rid of a bedroom, for example, to have a big luxury bathroom. And I'm thinking of Lily Allen's, we talked about this on the podcast, her Brooklyn home that was recently in Architectural Digest. She had a massive bedroom that had a bath in it, a pair of basins. I think they were set into like antique kind of like French commodes. Oh, uh, did she? Had a fridge in there. Had a fridge. Yeah, drinks fridge in her bathroom, and then like the most elaborate, expensive wallpaper, antique mirrors and lights, and pattern carpet in her bathroom. Jury's out on the pattern carpet. but Yeah, carpet in a bathroom, that's still a no-no, isn't it? I think so. But yes, it's interesting because uh, we got rid of a bedroom in the last house and, and you know, it was, it was, I have to say, not a problem when we came to sell it, although, you know, that was before the current market situation. But we felt that to have a bedroom with a really big bathroom was always going to feel more luxurious, more hotel. I mean, in many ways, I'd rather have a smaller bedroom with really good storage and a decent-sized bathroom rather than a teeny tiny bathroom where you can't fit anything in, you can't store anything. You know, those that moisturiser takes up an increasing amount of space with age. Yeah. Wow. With your seven-step skincare, I think that's uh, what everybody's Is up it? to Is now, that a aren't TikTok they? Thing? <laughs> I don't know about that. There's <laughs> a lot of skincare yeah. I products. I mean, it does take up a lot of space. Big bathrooms. I mean, they're kind of easier, aren't they? You want the freestanding tub in front of the window. We want an armchair in there. You want a lovely little armchair. You could have curtains and blinds. Oh, yeah, I'm here for the big bathroom vibes. What I have noticed increasingly is that you can also, if you've got a smaller or more an average size bathroom, you know, bath used to be a sort of thing where you had to put, it was quite an ugly tub, isn't it? And you put a side panel on it don't know what the technical terms are and you fit it against the wall bath panel a bath Mm. panel what manufacturers are increasingly making now is what's called a back to the wall basin but instead of needing a bath panel it has a curved front so it can fit against the wall and therefore take up less space but it's got that kind of curved side to it so it looks as if it's a freestanding one that's quite a clever idea for taking up less space very clever i've not seen those have you not seen those the other thing that that is new now and I think is becoming more widespread because they were very expensive is the very thin baths so a standard bath is 1700 long Mm. you can get them in 1500 I think you can also get them 1600 but you can now when they're thin you can have a small say a 1500 bath which if it was thick around the edges like the old baths would make your space inside quite small but you can now have them so they're like two centimeters thick around the edges like sitting in an eggshell and you've got more space inside you know and we've talked about that with sofas you know if you have a sofa with big chunky arms you've got less sitting space so in a small space have a sofa with thin arms more bum space same with baths a thin bath will give you more bathing space as in the rim around the edge that's what you're talking about but where are you going to put your shampoo bottles kate and your rubber ducks. I've now on the shelf at the side where you saved all the space <laughs> by having the thin bath. Clearly. It's quite a niche problem. How do I decorate my big bathroom? It is niche. But then at the same time, I think it's worth commenting on because one of the things that bathrooms suffer from is too many hard edges and acoustically feeling quite echoey 
and feeling quite cold and chilly because there's tiles on the floor, tiles on the walls. And in a very small bathroom, a tiled surfaces are practical because the water's just going to get everywhere and it makes them much easier to clean. But I think as soon as you start getting into a more generous sized bathroom, you can start thinking about rugs on the floor. You can start thinking about, as I said already, soft furnishings at the windows. You don't have to have tiles and marble everywhere. You can start having wood panelling, wallpaper... And just make the whole room feel more comfortable. And actually big bathrooms that are tiled out are the worst. You just feel like you're in an abattoir or something. It's that sort of old hotel look which we've moved on a bit from now, haven't we? It's, you know, sort of slabs of marble and hard mm. edges. It's not it's not how we're feeling currently. We're feeling a bit softer and cosier. We want to be soft, yeah. So, And I think that's why as well we're seeing lots of natural materials really coming through in bathroom design. Wooden shelves, wooden worktops, wooden bathroom cabinets... Yeah, just to bring in some tactility. And the other thing we're seeing, which I think started as a trend, but but weirdly is is super practical. There's a lot of curves at the moment. You know, there's a lot of baths. I mean, I joke about that thin bath being like an eggshell, but there are those sort of, you know, baths are curved, more oval basins, you know, rounded loos. And that is a trend. I've never been on a square loo. Aren't loos always rounded? I have. You've been on a square loo? It was kind of weird. It was, I did not like it. But the the point being that, you know, curves, it's all into people are talking about bathrooms as spas and wellness and it's organic shapes and it's curves and all that. Yes, yes, we know all that. But from a practical point of view, much easier to clean curves because corners and angles, they collect the grub and the dirt. So if you've got curves, it's much easier to wipe it round. And then also your other big tip that you always like to mention, which I think is really, really a really good one, is wall hung oh, yeah. where possible. Wall hung loos, wall hung basins. And I know it can be more expensive. It is because I've struggled with this in the past, wanting wall hung. But actually to reinforce the wall, get all the plumbing recessed inside the wall is an expense. So if you are doing your bathroom from scratch or doing a new build or a renovation... Get it on the plans from the get-go to have wall-hung WCs and basins if you can. Because, again, easy to keep clean and creates a feeling of space as well, having stuff off the floor. And also, as you say, if you've got a tiled bathroom, then you can sort of just, if it's a wet room, hose the whole thing down using the shower attachment. You know, it's much quicker and easier to clean or you can mop underneath it. You know, if you've got a sort of standard loo that sits on the floor, they do seem to have a bit of sort of sculptural angle around the bottom of it. And that's just a that's just a grub collector. So wall-mounted, curves, thin apply, thin apply, thin sanitary wear. This is all good stuff for thin bathrooms. Where are we with um, Chrome versus brass taps these days? Because we were all chrome, chrome, chrome. Then it went all brass, brass, brass. We're seeing the chrome coming back, aren't we? We are seeing the chrome coming back. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because brass was one of those things that was perhaps trending rather than trendy. You know, it's a classic material. It's always been expensive. And when when brass first came along, you know, some people did jump onto it and got a brass tap or, you know, but then you couldn't find the flushing mechanism on the loo or the waste. You know, you could go and buy these very expensive brass taps, but you've got to have a silver plug hole. So I've always, for that reason, stuck with chrome because I like to have it all the same if possible in the bathroom. It's just an easy life. And, you know, chrome is a classic. Having said that, uh, having said that, because I got brass taps for our downstairs WC and I had exactly that problem a nightmare trying to find a plug waste and a handle for the loo. But I would say that's really changed now because it's become so much more popular 
on the high street. You can always find them, but you'd have to pay like 80 quid for a plug waste or something. It's like, I'm not going to do that. But now I think the high street stores have come through with the brass and the black as well, of course. Is that still loitering around the black tap? Well, I've got a black kitchen tap, so I think they are still around. And, and of course, the one thing about black is, you know, it's like clothes, isn't it? It goes with everything. So if you can have a black tap and it doesn't matter if you've got a chrome flush or a chrome waste, you know, that's much easier to match. People get a bit agitated with black taps getting limes scale on them and being hard to clean i am going to shout out here to someone i follow on instagram called rainbow rosalind rainbow rosalind rainbow rosalind she sounds like my kind of person you'd love her you'd love her she's all about the colors but she has been spraying her bathroom attachments like there's no tomorrow she's in the middle coming to the end of a massive renovation i've slightly lost track of how many bathrooms she's got she may just be spraying everything in a different color she is using Edding spray, E-double-D-I-N-G. And she set up a little sort of cardboard box spraying booth. She's spraying shower attachments. She's spraying waste. She's spraying plug holes. She's spraying taps. It's extraordinary. And she's, she's now clearly really good at it. And she's really got the hang of it. She's just sprayed all the tiles in her bathroom. She bought cheap white tiles. She's masked them all off and sprayed them all in different colours. I mean, it's extraordinary. So I haven't done it. I don't know what it's going to look like in a year's time. But, you know, talk to her. So she's all sort of, you know, mint taps and blue taps and pink tiles. Oh, how fabulous. Oh, well, that's Isn't that, that it is really interesting because I think that, you know, people do really struggle to add colour to the bathroom because it's all, you know, chrome or brass. Majority of the tiles out there are various shades of white and off-white and all the sanitary wears white as well. I mean I've got a pink and basin but I don't think that's very very edgy isn't it to have a coloured sanitary wear. I think most people are still buying the classic white. So how do you get in the colour? The other thing that I think is a really easy fix again is yes white tiles square or subway metro are always the cheapest version there's really good coloured grouts now and I've done that I've had white tiles with a deep red grout our friend Rosalind has done a sort of white tiles with minty green grout Another woman who I shout out is great called uh, Leanne Kilroy, Good Bones London. She's done white builders tiles with bright pink grout. So, you know, you can you can bring in the colour that way. And that's a really clever idea. There's lots of different grouts on the market. And also, I mean, I hate white grout. We've not used white grout in this house because I just think it, it gets sort of brown and so stodgy and it looks there's nothing like spending and let's be honest you know bathrooms are not cheap to redo and you do it all it looks nice for about three months and then suddenly your grout's gone all horrible and you spend the rest of the time cleaning it if you go so we've gone actually for a chocolate brown grout we've got a terracotta grout you know those darker colors against a pale tile and I am not going to have grout problems. <laughs> Get the colour grout in. Now, there's one thing we should talk to about in bathrooms, and that is lighting, because that's key. But before we get onto the actual electrical lighting, I just wanted to flag up something that I noticed. I've been globetrotting a bit recently, and I went to Portugal on a job to see a cork forest and to see the cork forest being harvested. Fascinating. Anyhow, leaving that aside, we stayed in a hotel where they had obviously created bathrooms in the hotel room, as, as of course you do. And in common with many hotel bathrooms, there was no window because it was internal. 
And I think this can be a problem if you're trying to create an ensuite in your house and you think, great, I've got the space in the bedroom, but it's not going to have a window. So there's a couple of things you can do there is if you build the wall up to say, for the sake of argument, three quarters of the way up or say to picture rail height for the sake of argument, you can then put glass around the top bit and that will allow a bit of light to come in from the windows in the rest of the room. It's that sort of borrowed light effect. And what they'd done in the hotel in Portugal, which was beautiful, and I'm not suggesting we all do it here, although you could, was they'd put coloured glass Mm, and it was just stunning. So my bedroom was sort of basically white but with beautiful sort of emerald green linen curtains and the windows were painted in a paler green and it was sort of so shades of green and then the coloured glass around the top of the bathroom was a deep green and it was just stunning so that's you know a practical way you can have clear glass because no one's going to see in at that height you know you've got all the practicality you've got the noise reduction of not having it open to the ceiling and you can make it decorative and that's one way to bring in natural light if you don't have it. What about a, a, a coloured glass door panels? You could get it in that way too, couldn't you? You could do that as well. And bear in mind, if it's an ensuite, then I think perhaps privacy is slightly less of an issue than if it's what, what you might call the sort of family or public bathroom. You know, you can have a frosted glass door or a coloured door um, in oh, there. Oh, I love that idea. It's good, isn't it? And also sliding doors to save space. We've done that. Oh, she loves a pocket door. She loves a pocket love door. Love a pocket door. So a pocket door for you and a coloured glass door for me. That's the happy place right there, isn't it? There we go. Oh, I love that. Electric lighting in bathroom, though. I mean, do we have to have down lights? I think we do, don't we? Spotlights? Well, again, I don't know whether you do have to. In my bathroom, I put one little spotlight over the bath and one little spotlight over the basin and that was it and then a couple of wall lights because we all know for regular listeners of the great indoors podcast that wall lights are more flattering either side of a mirror when you're washing your face looking at your face anything like that so really nice to think about wall lights i think in a bathroom either set into the wall which you've done as well kate haven't you? you've got a pair of wall lights or a mirror that has lights set within it there's loads of bathroom mirrors that have lights integrated which is super clever there's one thing i'm going to say which we came up against so yes i've got in the upstairs in the family bathroom we've put wall lights either side of the mirror and that's great it is that flattering light in the downstairs shower room which is this one meter by three meters long and you know i so i said to the electrician well the basin will be here and i want a light either side of the mirror and i'd bought the lights and then he said oh no but you see you haven't got enough space because there's got to be and you have to look this up because it may vary in different countries and obviously i can't remember the numbers but in bathrooms there are zones about where you can put what sort of light depending on water and the likelihood of water splashing into it And our bathroom was so small that there wasn't enough space between the end of the shower and the basin to put a side light. So down there, we've had to have one light over the mirror for space reasons. So do check that out. Everybody will have different bath zones in different countries. But downstairs, again, it's a downstairs bathroom. I don't need to be doing my makeup in there all the time. It's more of a sort of ambient lighting, but just worth bearing in mind. Really important to think of the ambient light. I think it's not just about that bright light. And again, if you've gone for quiet, if you've got bright white sanitary wear in there, you've got pale coloured tiles, it can look very bright in there very, very quickly. So that was a lot, wasn't it? I think we've uh, deep dived into bathrooms. Has that given you some ideas, Kate, for your bathrooms in Turin? I've already had all the ideas because, you know, those builders are ringing me up going, where are you putting this light? How high are you putting this tile? We're all, we're all done. So 
Yes, I mean, I'm feeling quite adventurous and I don't know whether that's because it's a house in another country, it's sunnier. Mm. Um, none of the bathrooms are en suite, but there is a sort of bathroom close-ish to a bedroom. So I've taken the colour from the bedroom to sort of bring that into the bathroom. So we've got one that's nice. based on a reclaimed tile I found, which is going to be kind of blue and yellow a sort of ochre yellow and a navy Ooh. blue. We've got one that's going to be a kind of soft green and lavender. And I'm doing my Wes Anderson. I'm fulfilling my long-held fantasy. I'm doing the yellow and pink Wes Anderson bathroom. I can't wait. When are they going to be done? When can we see them? In theory, Christmas. Everybody cross your fingers. <gasps> Amazing. I'm going to book my, going to book my yeah. ticket. I love it. And with that, I feel like I've got to redo my bathrooms now. I'm feeling there you go. Now. Well, <laughs> I'm sure that's... <laughs> You've got the summer because we're now taking a bit of a break. Well, we've been busy, haven't we? You've been doing up your house in Turin. I'm finally going to continue to enjoy my house after its big renovation. I have to say, do keep an eye on my Instagram, though, folks, because I've I've been busily redecorating five rooms in my house, which have been embargoed until August. So uh, I'll be sharing those in the upcoming weeks. You'll get to see my new kitchen, the conservatory, my master bedroom... And my office is completely different. I'm wrestling you back. We still need that ensuite doing. That's the one we want to see, uh. the great secret ensuite. <laughs> Hopefully, you've got some inspiration from this show, as have our listeners. Yeah, I'm just going to add it to the list. And we'll be back in September, as I said. So watch this space. In the meantime, head on over to our Facebook group at The Great Indoors Podcast to carry on the conversation. And if you've got any style dilemmas that crop up over the summer, we'd still love to hear from you because we'll be bringing our style surgery back in September. So you can send them to help at thegreatindoorspodcast.com. But for now, thank you to our producer, Sarah Cudden of Feast Collective. And of course, thanks to you for listening. And we'll see you in The Great Indoors. 